Welcome to the MILF Bod Podcast. Mindful, intuitive, lifestyle, fitness. An all-encompassing wellness resource for women featuring some of the most successful, influential mothers and experts out there. I'm your host, Cherokee Luker, mother, model, fitness trainer, and wellness enthusiast. Join me as we dive into all things MILF. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the MILF Bod podcast. Today's guest is doula coach and hypnobirthing expert, Care Messer. I really thought I'd be going into this conversation talking strictly about birth work, but Care's life story was just so captivating that I couldn't help but want to know more. We start out our conversation talking about generational trauma, which I find super interesting. We talk about Care's experience having six miscarriages, how your body keeps the score, life's synchronicities, plant medicine, giving birth to a handicapped daughter, somatic therapy, autonomy, connection, surrendering, Care's top three tips for pregnant women and her top three tips for postpartum women. This episode touches on so many important topics and Kara and I just skimmed the surface of what we could have talked about. So I'm sure a part two to this episode will be in store. Without giving anything else away, I'd like to welcome this incredible, strong, inspiring, informative, and resilient woman onto the show. Kara Messer, everybody. So I don't know about you guys, but I've been on a journey with my skin over the years and I'm finally at a place as I quickly approach 30 where I actually feel like my skin is looking the best it ever has. My goal is to always look dewy, hydrated and glowing and this is where the golden secrets comes in. I recently had the founder of this incredible skincare brand on the podcast, Jessie Golden, because I've always admired her since I first discovered her in 2021. As soon as I started following her, I immediately purchased the firming wand, and since then, my Golden Secrets collection has grown to the face oil, the face mist, the instant glow face mask, the dry brush paired with the body oil, the long lash growth serum, and the organic coconut lip balm. If I had to narrow it down, I'd have to say my three favorite products are the face oil, the face mist, and the long lash growth serum. The Golden Secrets is a cruelty-free and sustainable skincare brand rooted in nature to help make you feel like a golden goddess. The goal of the brand is to inspire rituals of self-love and unveil an everlasting glow. And let me tell you, the products do just that. I can't recommend these products enough, and if you need proof of just how amazing this brand is, I highly recommend following Jessie, as she is a walking advertisement for every single item. And if you guys haven't listened to her episode, I recommend dropping what you're doing and listening right now. She's such a wealth of knowledge, and it brings me so much joy to support brands that deliver actual results and are giving back. So if you too want to unleash that glowing goddess, head over to thegoldensecrets.com to get 10% off your order when you use the code MILFBOD. That's thegoldensecrets.com. Use code M-I-L-F-B-O-D for 10% off your order. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Care. I am so 
excited to have you on. I feel like this conversation could go in a million different directions. So I would first just love to start out with you introducing yourself to the audience and to me, because you and I have never met. This is our first time virtually meeting, thanks to Jarek. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I We could go in a million directions, but it'll end up on vulvas at some point because that's all Perfect. I talk about. So <laughs> yeah, if it's has to do with birth, we're going to talk about sex and vulvas. That's just what happens. Occasionally penises. My favorite topics. Mine too. I, I have the best job in the world because I literally talk about penis, vagina, and babies all day long. And what more could you want in life? I know. It's kind of great. Like I grew up in a very religious home and we didn't even know what birth control and all the things were. And now I literally make a living talking about all the things I was never allowed to talk about when I grew up. So that's so interesting how it works out like that sometimes. Yeah. I would say my mom would roll over in her grave if she knew what I talked about, but she's still alive. So she's probably (laughs) walking back and forth in the rest home, angry with what I talk about. I don't know. Does she accept what you do though? Is she supportive? Well, we hadn't talked in 13 years. Wow which is one of the reasons I'm in birth work. Like there's so much family stuff that goes into our lives that I think birth work really shines a light on. And I just recently, it was about a month ago, I had my first conversation with her in 13 years and it was the most healing conversation I've ever had. And it was the scariest conversation I've ever had. That is amazing though. Yeah. And I, I will say it because of the healing work, my podcast has really pushed me in a direction of having to show myself in a way that I have not shown myself before in big, yeah. you know, in a big way. Mm-hmm. And it's really had me look at the stories that I've grown up with and what memes I've carried about myself and who I am and what I've had to set aside is, is this a story that I've been told or is this actually who I am? Yeah, And it's been very hard and very healing at the same time. And I feel way more congruent from what I've gone through over the last year to put everything together. And one of the pieces was having that conversation with her, although I never thought I would have that conversation with her. Wow. Yeah. In a big way, having a podcast and opening up and being vulnerable, it's so therapeutic and cathartic. And I think that it makes you just realize a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't have thought about. So how did the conversation go? And is everything fine now? Like, not to pry, but... No, it's it's interesting because the thing that kind of brought it up is I was just struggling. And I have a friend who is a medium and she's incredibly talented. And I trust her explicitly. And I called her and said, I don't want you to speak to me as a medium. But what the F is going on? I feel stuck. And she said, oh, it's forgiveness they're telling me forgiveness. And I said, I don't care what they're saying. I want you as a friend. And she goes, no, it's forgiveness. And I said, who do I have to forgive? Like, I love everybody. I'm cool with everybody. And she said, your mom. And every cell in my body constricted. Hmm. And I went, mother effer. I was so mad. And I was like, (laughs) you've got to be kidding me. And she goes, oh, that's who it is. You need to talk to her. And I was like, no way. And she said, you've been scared to open up that pain door and you got to open it up. And my whole body started to shake. And I know a hundred percent, I knew it, but I had always thought when she dies and she's cooled off a little bit, then she'll have the full picture and we could have a conversation. And Tanisha said, you know, you're going to have that conversation before she dies. And I know you've always been waiting for that. 
now's the time. And she basically hung up on me. I was so angry, but I was shaking like a little five-year-old. And I text my older brother and I said, you got to send me mom's number. And he's like, whoa, what? <laughs> You're what? And I said, I, I have to talk to her. And I said, I'm so scared. I said, as an adult, I know I can do this, but my five-year-old is, hmm. I'm terrified. Like, what's she going to do to me? And I knew I had to do it. And he said, well, if you don't do it now, you're going to talk yourself out of it in a month. So do it. And then he hung up on me. Yep. And I just hit it and she picked up and um, I still am emotional talking about it. That's okay. Yeah. It was a frail old lady that I don't know anymore. Yeah. I was expecting a lecture, a repentance call to Jesus from her. Um, all the things that I had done wrong. And once she knew it was me on the phone, she started to cry and said, please forgive me. Mm. And I said, mom, I have forgiven you. Like, that's why I'm calling. I have nothing against you. Yeah. And she just kept saying, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I was horrible to you. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And um, my kind of five-year-old kind of started to s- calm down a little bit. Mm -hmm. and I just started to tell her I didn't want to call you as an old lady and say, I've forgiven you and then not have a relationship with you because I felt that was cruel to do. But I said, I feel like you need to know that we were contracted to be together and what happened in your home was what needed to happen to make me who I was. And it took me many years to get over that and to figure out why you didn't want me and what made me so repulsive to you. And she doesn't have memories of that. So she was like, what do you mean? I loved you so much. And you were the, and I said, mom, you beat me. You did this. You said this, you didn't want me. I was the wrong sex. You know, I just kind of went through the whole thing and she agreed with me on some of it. And told me, you know, I wasn't a good mom and I didn't know what I was doing. And it's interesting because maybe this is why this phone call had to take place. I'd already solo recorded my first podcast Mm -hmm. and it was on generational trauma. And it was on what my grandma passed on to my mom. My birth story was already formed. My human history in that family was already formed. I'm such a firm believer in generational trauma. And it makes so much sense too, especially as women. And epigenetically, it's scientifically proven that we hold the traumatic experiences of our ancestors like 12 generations back. Yep. So I was raised Mormon. We go back all the way through our genealogy. Genealogy is very important in that faith. So I can name my great-great-grandmothers all the way back and know their stories, but I feel what actually happened to them. And I told my mom, like, I can't expect your mom who left at 13 to run away to Hollywood to get away from whatever was happening in her Idaho town Mm -hmm. to be a good mom to you because who knows why she was running. Right. And then she ends up 22 pregnant with you. Didn't want you. You came into the world, not wanted, you know, you pass that on to me. Yeah. Like, how can I blame you for that? And I did blame her for that a lot for many years because I hadn't seen the full picture yet. So yeah, the conversation lasted for an hour and a half. And I ended up teaching her things about forgiveness and not dealing with the shame of things that have happened to her in her life and let that go because she really believes that Christ died for her sins and she's been forgiven. 
but she's holding on to such shame and she torments herself. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, mom, if those are your beliefs, then those are all done. Like, let it go. And if you feel like you didn't have a conversation with your mom that you needed to, or my dad that you need to have it out loud. Now they're with you. They're in heaven or wherever they are going. I'm good. Like they hold nothing against you. They have the full picture. And she's like, I I believe that. I'm like, then talk to them. It was a very unexpected turn of events because I really thought I was going to get lectured and for lack of a better term, crucified the way I was growing up with her emotionally. And it just wasn't that. I'm so glad it wasn't that. That's really heavy. That's a lot. But I'm I'm really glad that you opened up and shared that because I feel like our relationships with our mothers, they play such a huge role in our lives. They're so complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very complicated. And I feel like you definitely made the right decision in making that phone call because think about if you hadn't and you had waited. I'm sure it was a huge weight off of your shoulders. And now looking back at that phone call, I'm sure that it it makes you really happy that you chose to do that. It unlocked something energetically that I wasn't aware that that could have been a lock because I had compartmentalized and put her in a box over here. And this was a really heavy pain box. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I forgave her. Everything's cool. Like I have nothing against her. Why do I need to have that conversation? And I stopped wishing for the mom that I always wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of almost had a funeral for her in my mind. Like, okay, that mom's not there. She wasn't there for me growing up. Like, let that go. And there were pieces that weren't finished. And two, I feel like if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be the birth worker that you are today. I'm sure that it unlocked something that contributes to how amazing you are as a birth worker as well. And it's almost like I've had conversations over the years with so many mothers about the issues they've had with their moms. And I've encouraged them, talk it through. You're an adult now. And I feel like, oh my gosh, why wasn't in alignment? Right. You weren't practicing what you were preaching. Right. That didn't apply to me because she's such a painful person. Yeah. Right. And it did apply to me. I regret never having those conversations with my dad. And I've had them since he's passed but I didn't know enough to have them when he was alive. Yeah. And, you know, and I didn't have anger issues with him other than I felt like he abandoned me, but that was what my mom's story was with him, Mm -hmm. not the actual story. So you kind of have to sift through those family things, right? As to what is really true and what is from someone's perspective that I've adopted is true. Yeah. We create a, a certain narrative in our head and we've been so used to that narrative, telling ourselves the same story over and over again, that it's hard to break that. And I've just, you know, recently started exploring this whole world with my therapist. And I think it's just so healing and so helpful, but it is so hard at the same time to really just break that narrative and figure out what the actual truth is. The saying goes, like, you can't grow while being comfortable. So yeah, thank you so much. How long ago was that? Probably a month ago, maybe five weeks. It was very recent. Oh my goodness. Okay. So it's very fresh. Okay. So yes, very fresh. And I didn't get to introduce myself because we went into a story, but um, (laughs) that's okay. I have been in birth work for 15 years. I'm a doula, childbirth educator, postpartum doula, placenta encapsulationist, erotic blueprint coach, 
authentic relating skills facilitator. You're a hypnobirthing specialist, right? Yeah. And I birthed my baby with hypnobirthing and anything that has to do with connection, sex and communication is kind of my, it's my passion. And the fact that your name is care, that's your birth given name, right? No, it's, (laughs) it's actually Carolyn. Okay. But my mom said my whole life, she hated my name. Okay. And she said, your dad put Carolyn on the birth certificate and it was supposed to be Carol Lynn after my mom's best friend and herself, which is the Lynn part. And Uh. since he just wrote Carolyn, she held a grudge. And so my whole life, I heard how much she hated my name. So of course I hate my name and I feel like I wasn't good enough to have a good name. And then in seventh grade, one of my friends started calling me care. And I was like, Ooh, that will tick my mom off. (laughs) So (laughs) I kept it. And then it's worked really well in every job I've ever had because I've always done human-ish, you know, jobs that it always worked. Oh, that's really cool. It's so in line with what you do. It's so perfect. What were you doing before birth work? So my normal job was putting my husband through law school. So I worked three and four jobs. And the last job I worked as an asphalt road administrator, contracts, Uh stuff like that. And I never thought I would do birth work. Like I just was doing the jobs until he could buy us our little picket fence, you know, house. And then I could just stay home all the time. And it didn't quite work out that way. I had had six miscarriages and that just kind of shifted into, well, now I need a career because I'm not having babies anymore, obviously. Like this was the hardest one I've ever miscarried and I'm not doing this again. Mm -hmm. And then three months later, we ended up getting a little girl in the foster care system. Our bishop had called us and said, there's a little girl who needs to be at your house. And within 24 hours, she was at our house. So she's who actually made me a mom. Yeah, And she was five when she came to live with us and eight by the time we adopted her. Wow. That's beautiful. First, I want to back up a little bit and talk about your six miscarriages. I know it's a very sensitive topic. And if you're not comfortable with speaking on it, we can totally skip over it. But I feel like it's a very important topic to touch on and what those experiences were like and what kind of toll it took. Yeah. And I, I don't have any problem talking about it. Okay. So first I should say, this is a very good piece of information for anyone listening out there. Mm -hmm. I have a gene called MFTHR is the gene that I carry. Mm -hmm. Um, People call it the mother effer gene and, (laughs) you know, a third of the population has it and there are some severe types and some not so severe types. And it's a way that your body doesn't methylate iron and folate and things like that. Mm -hmm. So your body can't sustain a pregnancy. And that's why I kept miscarrying over and over and over because my body just couldn't handle the pregnancy. But 15 years ago, nobody tested for that. No one knew much about it. And so it was skipped. And so I would miscarry, I would miscarry, I'd miscarry. And, you know, I think it was a relief for my husband because we were in school. And even though we were Mormon and supposed to be having all these babies, I think he was just like, oh, thank goodness, dodged a bullet. And he actually said that once, which was very hurtful. Red flags that you don't see until later. Yeah. So it once that last one happened, it was horrific. And so when I did get pregnant with Finn accidentally four years later, I didn't even know I was pregnant until I was like three months along. And the reason that I stayed pregnant, when you talk about synchronicities in your life, I have some very big ones that have lined everything up. As I look back, I hope all of us do, but mine have been very pronounced. And one of them in the synchronistic thing is 
a year before I got pregnant, I had broken out with this really bad rash all over my head and my neck. No one could figure it out. I'd been to dermatologist. I'd used creams. I'd changed washings. I'd done all these things, could not figure it out. And it was miserable and itchy. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends gave me a random gift certificate to a brand new esthetician who opened up shop like two weeks before. Yeah. And I walked in and she goes, that looks like a gluten intolerance. And I'm like, what's gluten? Like <laughs> it was 15 years ago. I had no clue. No one knew. And she said, you should go on green smoothies and go off all food and clear your system out. I didn't know what green smoothies were. I went and bought a Vitamix, which was really expensive. And within three days, the itching went away. Within a week, the bumps went away. And I was like, whatever. And I had never had that many vegetables in my life. And I started actually feeling really good. So I just kept on that diet, got pregnant during that time. And I was so overdosed with folate that that's what supported the pregnancy. Oh my gosh. That's very interesting. Very random. That's amazing though. So once I found out I was pregnant and I went in, of course, to a high-risk doctor, she's like, I'm just going to run this test. And then she goes, oh, you have that gene. We're going to give you some high-level folate. And most people went on one pill. I had four. And Mm. I stayed on that throughout the pregnancy. And that's what carried her to term. So anyone who's maybe experienced multiple miscarriages in their journey, can you just go to your doctor and ask to get tested for this gene? And Mm -hmm. then, okay. You can. They run the genetic test. There are markers too, like a a little dimple above your buttocks, like right at your butt crack is a dimple certain kind of strawberry birthmarks, which I had one across my nose um, growing up. And I'm sure my daughter carries that too, because she's got all the markers as well. And there's a lot to it. And there's also different ways that as you grow, you need to supplement and stuff your body to keep yourself healthy as well. And a lot of doctors just blow it off. They just say, eh, everyone's got it. It's no big deal. Yeah, It actually is a big deal. So, but definitely for fertility, look at that, like should be run right off the bat. So that definitely played a huge role in the fact that you were able to get pregnant is because you decided to switch up your diet completely and you were able to hold on to that folate and all of the good nutrients that your body was probably lacking for so long. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Unknowing, right? Right. You couldn't have paid me to go on a vegetable diet. The only vegetables I had were in Mormon casseroles, right? It was cream of chicken soup, maybe a sprinkle of broccoli, and then potato tots. I didn't eat vegetables. Yeah. So it was a complete lifestyle switch for me, accidentally, but it's a synchronicity. So when you have a miscarriage, what toll does it take on your emotional state and your mental state and (sighs) physically too? Like, I don't really know how it works when you have a miscarriage. Well, physically, it, it usually begins with cramping and spotting. And that makes a definite impression in your brain. I don't think you ever go without going to the bathroom and checking your underwear from that point on. Yeah. Because you're just always waiting. Uh, even with my pregnancy, I was waiting for her to die any day. And it was <sighs> very hard to stay present mm-hmm. because you are living that over and over. Like everything was fine until it wasn't. So miscarriage is a really hard thing. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. Uh, many people have them. Some don't know they were pregnant. And in some states now, you can't even get really good care if you have one. They're checking to see if you aborted a baby. And so there's even more stigma with it and more shame with it. And it is something that happens if a baby is not, if they're not ready to come in for whatever reason, maybe they're just testing out to see if there was a body. Maybe it's just the timing's not right. Maybe that body wasn't going to 
come into fruition the way it needed to for that soul's life, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to leave. And I didn't have that belief system at that time. The belief system I had was you'll get them back in heaven and you'll get to raise them as your children and whatever. So I figured, gosh, I've got a big family waiting for me, but I'd like to have them here. Right. And, you know, because I was, I grew up in a faith where babies were everything. And you go to church and everyone has all these babies and kids and all they're talking about is why aren't you pregnant? Well, why aren't you adopting? Why aren't you, you know, where's your family? You feel less than. And especially if you really, really want babies and say you did your career first because that's what you needed to do. That's what you wanted to do. You've put your babies off until the later years. And then for some reason, there's that unexplained fertility over and over. And it doesn't have to be with you. It can be with your partner. A lot of sperm count is really low. Right. Nowadays. And because we don't talk about it, we go through a lot of emotional baggage by ourselves, which is really hard when we finally do get pregnant because we're passing it on to our baby. And, you know, I had had loss after loss. So my uterus held a lot of grief in it and a lot of fear. And that's what my baby was being baked in. And that determines and helps their personality feel safe in the world or not safe in the world. And the sooner we understand that and we can grieve that, you know, I've had moms come into class where they've had a couple terminations for whatever reasons beforehand. And now they have huge guilt because they're pregnant and they're like, I'm trying to attach to this one, but what about all those other babies? It does a mind thing because that was probably done by themselves and they didn't process it. And if they did, it didn't fully process because now they're trying to attach to this baby and they have, it's almost like survivor guilt for the mom. Yeah. And since nobody talks about it, once again, they hold it in and then they come into birth class. Luckily they can talk to me about it, Mm -hmm. but I wish we could have done that through therapy beforehand. Right. And kind of cleared out the sadness so that we can stay present for this baby because right now this baby is good. And that's the part about miscarriage. You don't know if you've got a week, if you've got six months or if you've got a day. Right. Yeah. And that's the hardest part about attaching and trying to talk to parents about attach for right now. Like you're creating a soulful experience for this human. And if this baby stays, you want them to feel secure and loved by you. And even if it's only for a little bit, it's our wanting to avoid the loss and the heartbreak that keeps us from attaching. And, you know, that's one of the hardest parts about birth work is everybody's so fearful of their baby dying or their partner dying that they stay detached from the whole experience because they're so risk adverse that they can't fully lean into it. Like when you talked about your birth story Mm -hmm. and you were like, why am I pregnant? And then all of a sudden you saw that little boy and you went, oh my gosh, I don't care how scared I am. I don't care how... I'm feeling, I'm going to lean into this experience. Yep. It's really hard to lean into an experience that you're avoiding because you're so scared to get your heart broken. Definitely. And that's life. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you have to surrender to whatever's happening. And it's really hard to do sometimes when you're feeling that resistance. But that's really the best way that I can describe it is you just have to surrender sometimes. And it's um, interesting too. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, I've read it many times. Yeah. And it makes so much sense because your body holds on to all of this trauma that you've experienced in your life. So it makes so much sense when you talk about 
miscarriages in that light because I've never really heard it talked about that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, and I really believe that we're not just a speck of something. Right. We're in a human experience, but we're a big soul. I think that's why babies wiggle so much. They're a huge soul Mm -hmm. crammed into a tiny little body. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is this? And they're trying to figure out their movements and their sounds. And what is this? And it's a new experience for them. And I believe we have contracts with who we're supposed to come in with. And for whatever reason, you know, I asked my mom, I want you to do this and this and this, and I need to learn this, this, and this. Yeah. With my ex-husband, I need to learn this, this, and this. What do you need to learn from me? Whatever. We had those agreements. And as painful as those were, mm-hmm. I knew instantly that I was supposed to be with that man. There wasn't even a doubt. Yeah. And how we came about is another synchronicity, how we even got together. We knew each other 30 days before he left on a two-year mission. We wrote every single week and mm. got married six weeks after he got home. Oh, wow. That's a love story. Right? And I would do it again. No matter what we've gone through, I would do it again because it was right. Yeah. And, you know, you have those those soul agreements or soul contracts with different people when you've met somebody that you would just feel like you're catching up with them and they're brand new into your life. I call them chosen family. I love that. And you just pick up where you left off and all of a sudden you're, wow, I've known you forever, but I don't even know your birthday. Like it's just right. that kind of connection, right? One of the biggest synchronicities is the second date I went on with Paul. He said, I always thought I'd adopt older kids. And I said, really? Why? And he goes, well, you know, everyone's babies. And those older kids just get the shaft because everyone's babies. And I said, That's, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And I said, I've always thought I'd have handicapped kids. Like I really thought I'd have like a Down syndrome little kid too. And Paul and I had both worked with handicapped kids in high school and college. And he said, yeah, I can see that. And our oldest one was adopted and our second one was handicapped. Wow. And that was at our second date. That is wild. And that just is a testament to how in tune you are and how in tune we can be as humans. Wow. Like I knew that on some level. That's amazing. So why is she handicapped? What What's... Um, so everything was fine during our, my whole pregnancy. I was at a high powered hospital. I was in hypnobirthing. And so I had my birth plan, you know, whatever. And I called the hospital to go over it with them. And the charge nurse was like, you don't want to be here. You want to be at a birth center. And I'm like, no, I don't. I like hospitals. Mm -hmm. And she's (laughs) like, everything you're asking for, we're not going to do. And you could have that at the birth center. And she stepped away from the desk and said, my daughter and I went to the birth center. We had a water birth. It was amazing. And something went off in my head. Like you're the charge nurse. You could have any doctor there, any of your friends deliver the baby. You left red flag, red flag. What the heck? And I had never (laughs) heard water birth before. Right. So the hypnobirthing got me to the birth center where I had an amazing, beautiful six hour birth labor start to finish. I pushed twice Oh, that's a dream. Oh, I know. Sorry, I heard you. You're long. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But it was, it was a magical birth. And I, you, that part where you're like this, you know, some of this is just a daze. You're in and out. Your hormones are everywhere. It's a different reality during that birth. It was miraculous. And it wasn't painful. It was intense, but it was amazing. And as Finley came out, the placenta came out with her. And if you know anything about birth, usually placentas take, you know, 15 to 30 minutes to come out, sometimes a little longer. And 
when she came out, she was kind of blue and they were, you know, giving her some oxygen and, you know, helping her catch her breath. And mm-hmm. I was holding her. And I, when she came out, I heard a thud. That was the placenta. <gasps> and the older midwife said, okay, let's get her on the bed and we'll wait for the placenta. And the student midwife who caught said, oh, her placenta is already out. And I heard that's not good from the senior midwife. I have a baby in my arms, right? She is moving around. She smells amazing. I move into the bed. We start skin to skin. My older daughter, Angie, comes in. It it was magic. Yeah. In what was going on in the back as they're watching her not suckle, go into like an apnea where she couldn't breathe and all of a sudden catch her breath. What had happened is her placenta, which is her oxygen supply, stopped right as she was coming out. So some babies can live five, six minutes with no oxygen and be revived and be fine. She maybe had 30 seconds of no oxygen. And it was enough to put her brain into emergency mode. So she was relying on her hind brain. We had four hours of skin to skin. It was magic. In the meanwhile, they had called children's and arranged transport for her. Another synchronicity during her whole pregnancy, I had this, we called it a thumper. And it was called Baby Wise or Baby Smart. And it was like a little machine that I wore on my belly twice a day and it did different patterns. And it would just thump, thump, thump. And it was like the crocodile in Cruella DeVille, that movie, just hearing that crocodile clock all the time. Uh And people made fun of me for it. But when I saw it, I was like, I have to have that and make my baby smarter. So I wore it all the time. Well, what that did was it overdeveloped her hindbrain, which is what actually kept her alive. Oh, crazy. How I, would I know that? Wow. I How would anyone have known? Goosebumps. So when we had gotten to the hospital and within three days, they were like, she's brain dead. They showed me a scan of her brain, a scan of a normal baby's brain. They're like, there's nothing going on. It's like, she's been dead for a week. We don't know why she's still breathing, except that her hind brain is so overly developed. It's keeping her alive. But if we take her off life support, she probably won't live more than 24 hours. And my husband was like, well, then let's take her off life support. You know, like he's a man, like I heard the evidence, let's move on. And I was not about to accept that. So it was a kind of come to Jesus moment. I said, everyone will be praying for this baby. We're going to hold a fast. We're going to call everyone we know. Why would God let me hold this kid Yeah, and have an amazing life-changing birth experience and then take her? No. Yeah. Didn't make sense. Right. And in the back of my mind too, if she has to go, she has to go. Right. But it was, I went home. We've been doing 12 hour shifts. I went home and my sister said, just take a rest. You're not thinking clearly. Let's get you some sleep. And I slept solid for 10 hours. It's the first long sleep I'd had since I'd had her. And when I woke up, I knew I had to plan that funeral. And it was kind of a switch to, I'm so grateful that I gave her a masterful birth. She came into the planet being wanted, loved, feeling safe. It was a warm environment. The whole room was full of love. And if she's only here for five days, that was her experience. Right. Which was completely opposite of how I came into the world. Didn't know that at the time. Right. But complete opposite. And I had changed that. You want to talk about breaking generational curses? I had completely changed that, not knowing that that's why I had chosen hypnobirthing, that that's why I had chosen the birth center. For two more years, I wouldn't know that. But long story short, after eight days, we took her home with hospice and I never put her down. To my husband's credit, he didn't even change a diaper unless I wanted him to. He never asked to hold her. And she was on me 24-7. Like I slept with her. I 
Mm. I just know she's going to die. She's going to die in my arms. That's all I could imagine would be a fitting send off for an angel. Mm. And after six weeks, I woke up one day and I'm like, she's not leaving. I need help. I need different doctors. And I told the hospice nurse, like, she's not going anywhere. And she goes, I'm so glad you said that. You're probably right. You need to call a pediatrician. And I was like, why? You've been here six weeks. <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? Oh and she said, I can't say anything. What if I said, gave you hope and then she died an hour later? I'm like, okay. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But holy crap, lady. Yeah. So anyway, it took us a while to get back into the same neurologist who had brought those original CAT scans in. And when he came in the room, he's like, I can't believe you're sitting here with this little girl. Yeah. She shouldn't be here. And that was the start of therapies and a trip to Spain to swim with wild whales to wake her brain up. Mm. Like there's so many things that Finley came to teach. Yeah. And she's an amazing human being. Like amazing human I don't being. doubt it. And if you guys do not know, Mormons don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't eat drink coffee, we don't like no alcohol, whatever. So I've gone my whole life, I'm 51, I've never had a drop of alcohol to this day, even though I'm not Mormon anymore. And yeah, I do drink coffee. I love coffee with all the good stuff in it. However, a few years back, one of my friends kept inviting me to medicine journeys. One day I said, yes, out of the blue, I had childcare for Finn. By now I'm a single mom. And that started me on a road to healing that I couldn't have gotten from anything else. Plants have opened up some of the most beautiful parts of myself and the most beautiful parts of the world and the journey that we're all on together. And one journey, I was probably two years ago now, was a mushroom journey, psilocybin. I was with one of my friends who's a therapist. And as I went into this medicine space, I usually would check on Angie energetically. like, And I felt this, I saw her in my mind and this pull of mother energy of me to her. And I was like, yeah, I love you that much. Like I feel it. And she was looking up to me and you could feel that mother daughter energy. And Angie was always the one who made me a mother. Were you in her actual physical presence at this time? No. Okay. Okay. It was an energetic vision, maybe an exchange. And then I said, well, let me look at Finn. And as I turned down to look at Finn, my eyes were drawn up and she was above me and the mother energy was pulling from her to me. And I looked up and I said, wait a second. And I said, are you my mother energy? And she went, yeah, don't make my sacrifice worth nothing. And I, and I, I like looked at her and I started to sob and I said, what? And she said, don't make my sacrifice worth nothing. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't understand. And then I looked to my left and I saw my mother Mm -hmm. next to me. Like we were co-conspirators in the journey, but she wasn't my mother energy. And then I looked at Angie, who was next to me, and her mother was next to her. Oh my God. And I went, I'm so confused right now. And I looked over at Angie and I said, our mothers are not really our mothers. And Angie said, no, mom, you're my mom. I'm just (laughs) sitting here stunned. And then I looked back up at Finn and she said it one more time. Don't make my sacrifice worth nothing. Yeah. And I said, Finn, you chose this body. You chose this for me. And I was just crying and crying. And she said, of 
course I would do that for you. And she held up her hands and reflected me to me. Yeah. And I immediately went, oh yeah, that's who I am. I love just that deep. Oh yeah. Like she was just reflecting who I truly am. Just showing you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, like you're dead on. That's who I am. And she said, so why wouldn't I do that for you? And I was like, oh my gosh, I had never felt one that seen or that loved. And I was just surrounded in this powerful energy of motherly love that I'd never experienced here before. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Right. And I can't believe you did that for me. And she said, you do it for others, but I did it for you. Yeah. And you need to get out of your way. Oh, that is powerful. It was life shifting. How old was she at this point? Well, she was 13, 14 at the time, but she was not even in my house. She was at a respite weekend because Finn doesn't walk, doesn't talk. She's a quadriplegic. So there's really no communication there other than I know how to communicate with her energetically. But in the this vision, we were having conversation and she was my mother. And it opened up the whole dynamic of, oh, I really don't know what I don't know. And I need to be in a heightened state and I got to get off my ass. So this medicine journey, this particular one, what was the setting like? Were you alone? Were you with some friends? Like, where were you when this took place? Yes. So it was here in my home. And it was with one of my friends who's also a therapist and she hosts women's groups with medicine. Amazing. Yeah. And it was just the two of us. Was she doing it as well? Yeah. She was on psilocybin as well. Mm -hmm. And so she had already kind of cuddled up to me because she could see that I was starting to cry. And I just fell into her and sobbed for two solid hours. All the hurt, all the anger, all the stuff that I'd been carrying since I was a little kid of keep it down, keep yourself quiet don't make noise, don't show people who you are. Because I've always had gifts where I could hear spirit and predict things that were happening. But in a religious background, that was satanic, that was devilish, you know, and so I suppressed and I suppressed all the anger. I suppressed all the hurt because I wanted to be loved so bad. And I remember as a little kid kind of popping myself almost out of my body, looking at the room going, I don't think I belong here. (laughs) Like they don't want me. Why am I here? And I would hear spirits say, you're going to be safe. This is where you need to be. You're in the right place. I feel like that's how a lot of people explain it who are more tapped into this whole realm. I feel like it's a a lot of the times like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. And it was normal to me. So I didn't realize it was probably wacky or (laughs) different until I was an adult going, I used to do that as a kid all the time. Like, you know, maybe I was disassociating, but I was definitely out of my body watching this happening. (laughs) So it was that experience that kind of, I like had to reevaluate everything. And I'm like, where am I standing in my way? What haven't I overturned? I've been in therapy since I was five. And I'm with a somatic therapist right now who has helped me tap into my body in a way. This is the best therapy I've ever had. I don't know what that is. It is so different than cognitive therapy, like talk therapy. It is still talking, but when something comes up in your body, your nervous system, because your body keeps the score, reacts. So you're either in a mellow state or you're in a heightened state and your body still needs to process all of those feelings. So she has taught me how to feel like all of a sudden I'll say something and then my jaw locks. I'm Mm, like, okay, what is this telling me? Or I feel it in my gut. And she's like, what does that look like to it? I'm like a black sludgy, blah, blah, blah. Okay. 
And now I'm getting much more efficient at feeling when I'm starting to get set off and sitting with the emotion instead of eating it down or walking around it or ignoring it, but like feeling it and letting it just dissipate because feelings and emotions are energy that need to run through, right? And our body holds on to that. Yeah. And it's been the most uncomfortable therapy I've ever gone through and the most life-changing. Oh, I want to try it. It's phenomenal. And the way these somatic therapists work in helping you release, it's something that you can actually do yourself once you get the hang of it, but it's a matter of staying in body. And I don't like to be in body. I like out. This is a very heavy form for me to be in. And I like to be outside of it and ignoring the pain because Mm -hmm. it was so painful growing up where I grew up. So it's my habit. I gravitate towards those kind of relationships instead of what is this showing me? Where do I feel at my body? Sit with it. You're the adult. Let it work itself out. Breathe, you know, see where you are in the room. Touch five things, smell five things, look at five things. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm going to maybe look one up in my area and try and find one. As busy individuals and parents that are always on the go, it's nice to be able to utilize products that not only look good, but are functional as well. Ondar products are next level quality using highly sourced leather that helps minimize and organize what you carry. I'm a huge fan of the Indie, which is this gorgeous crossbody bag that they designed, and I can't tell you how convenient, durable, and cute it is. I got it in the color Crema, which is a nice neutral color that I can pair with anything when I'm on the go. I was recently in New York, and it was so nice having the perfect size bag to just throw over my body with all my essentials in there. They also make backpacks, wallets, phone cases, and so much more. So for 15% off your order, just use code CherokeeLuker at checkout when you go to Ondar.com. That's code CherokeeLuker, capital C and capital L, for 15% off your order at Ondar.com. Going back for a second to plant medicine what other things have you tried other than psilocybin? Have you tried ayahuasca? Have you done other forms of medicine journeys? Yeah. And I should tell you that I did tell my mom about my mushroom journey. And? She and went, what? Did she about shit her pants? <laughs> kind of. I said, she goes, wait, you've never even had alcohol. I'm like, nope, but I still have it, mom. And she's like, I, 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 I would love to hear about it. So I told her that whole experience mm. and she was open to it. It was amazing. Wow. But I started out with Peruvian medicine. It was done in a group setting, very safe. Peruvian medicine starts out with Kana, which is a heart opener, which kind of peels back the layers of your heart first. It was a very inward kind of medicine that was just opened up magic. I don't even know how to explain it. Medicine to me, it's not a, I'm high and I'm off the rafters. Like even when I did MDMA, was done in a very safe setting. And I thought, how do people do this at raves? Like it was such a peaceful, <laughs> loving thing for me. It does not make sense to me because it was such a spiritual, peaceful thing to me. It really is. Yeah. That's my drug of choice. Yeah. And I just didn't understand what that was. And I have better experiences with straight plant medicine than when I add the chemical to it. So yeah. I prefer Kana over MDMA. I have had some 
psilocybin mixed with ayahuasca, and but I haven't done a full ayahuasca journey yet. But when finally I listened to my intuition and and took that first step, and it was done in the most sacred of settings, there is such a difference than when you hear people go, yeah, we grabbed mushrooms and went into the forest and we just sticked around. Like it's such a different thing when you actually let plants connect you back to all of our consciousness and who we are and how we are as mothers and how we are as community together. And I see a lot of the awakening. Yeah. Awakening. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good term. But if we can stay in the love, which is what plants teach you, you look at people different. You look at experiences different. You're softer with other people. I really have the belief that everybody's doing the best they can. It's just a different level of communication. It's a deeper conscious connection, which is what I want everyone to have with their babies and their bodies before they even get pregnant. But a lot of time I get people right at the end and usually they're finding me for a reason. Cause if you read my stuff and look at my stuff, you're either attracted to it or you're like, who the hell is this woo woo? Right. So <laughs> I never worry about you're in the wrong class. Like they would have already self-selected out if they've looked right. at my stuff. But yeah, because you do a very good job at putting yourself out there and not masking who you are at all. I love that about you. And I love that about your content as well. So if when people are working with you and you're working with clients, what does that look like exactly? Well, right now, because I don't have childcare for Finn, I'm just teaching and um, training doulas. So I don't attend births anymore, although occasionally I get to go to one, but it's, it's mostly with hypnobirthing. So my hypnobirthing is a little bit different than the regular traditional hypnobirthing. We focus a lot on the chakras, which I call power centers. So we start mm-hmm. at the top because birth energy moves down. We start at the top, which is purple, um, the spiritual connection. And we start delving into where you have accelerations in growth, where you may have hiccups in growth. And then we move down to your intuition and we go down into your throat chakra and start learning who you are as a person, as who you have been, to who you're becoming, to where you're headed with this baby. Because if your intuition isn't open and you're not trusting it and starting to delve into it, how are you going to parent this little kid? And so we kind of start at that level and understanding that what's happening right now in your world is shaping their world because this is their birth. It's not your birth. You already had one with your mom. I hope it was great. Mine was not. That's probably why I'm a birth worker. Um, (laughs) But getting into community and finding that deep connection, which is what we're all craving, which is why I think TikTok is so on the top of the apps because people can connect in a different way than they have in other places. And coming back to who you are when you don't really know who you are is the most important thing you can do as a parent. I love that. Coming back to who you are when you don't know who you are. Yeah. And it's funny that you say I don't mask because I can like list my masks. (laughs) There's a room you walk into and you know what you can say and what you can't say, right? And who you have to be in front of that person and coming into alignment every single time, every, every day, I am constantly doing that to say, can I be who I am in this room? I'm scared to be who I am sometimes because I had spent so many years hiding myself. The fact that you can just straight up admit that is already showing who you are. Do you get what I mean? Like, it's almost like a catch 22. So I just feel like you're so good at being unapologetically yourself. And you're just like, sometimes I am scared, but this is just how it is. And I think that there's so much beauty and power in that and and just being able to admit that. Well, thank you. Because I feel like over the last two years, 
after I had that experience with Finn, I had to really shuffle through like what's holding me back. What is it that I'm not being aligned with or authentic with or whatever? And because I hear things about people, I feel things about people, but I'm hearing that I need to say this. So I'm going to say it and trusting that that is what needs to be said at that moment has been probably my biggest struggle. Because sometimes I'm in class and I hear a baby say, my mom needs X, Y, Z. And I don't know who it is, but I know it needs to be said. And I usually can tell by the facial expressions who it was meant to be for, but not all the time. And sometimes I get it from three different moms and I'm like, okay, I don't know who that was for. But I think we're all scared. And I, I really have no problems taking risks with my business. I've always been entrepreneur, like do it like, you know, oh, I don't have five bucks for that. Okay, I'm going to do it and go in debt. But when it comes to my spiritual well-being or my real self, I've been much less risk adverse to protect myself. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like a defense mechanism. When you're teaching, is it usually virtual or is it in person? Right now it's virtual because 2020, all of Finley's people moved away. A lot of nurses, right? We left, they all left the state. So right now my hypnobirthing classes are online. It's actually been great. Different time frames can tune into different classes. So that's been great. The ones I am going to start holding in person are the pregnancy circles for pregnant folks and the postpartum circles. So those workshops will be in person and I've let them know my daughter's going to be in the other room. So if I need to go quiet her down, I need, you know, which postpartum moms are like, totally get it, right? But pregnant moms, sometimes you're like, I want all this to be about me. And I'm like, so do I. Let's hope Finn's in a good mood that day. But, you know, being a single mom with her has been tricky. And even finding nurses that can lift her is tricky because she's 85 pounds now, which is why I get along so well with postpartum moms. I'm like, dude, this kid is up at 1 a.m. every single night. Like, I'm lucky if I get four hours of sleep. And some nights I don't get any sleep if I've gone on call to pick up a placenta and I'm picking her up, putting her in the wheelchair and out the door. And I get it because postpartum, man, you are just so sleep deprived and you do not. And I'm like, I've been doing it for 15 years. So I get what you're going through and I respect it because it's hard and I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. How old is Finley? She's 15. Okay. I didn't realize that you were so in the thick of it currently. I thought that because she was a little bit older now. But that makes sense though, because you are a single mom and there's not much care to help with her. Right. So Finley's in diapers, suppositories every other day, liquid diet. So she's hand fed by a medicine dropper because I there's no point in giving her a feeding tube when she gets so much joy from the interaction of being fed. Right. And I just don't want to hook her up and stick her in a corner with an IV pole. Like until I absolutely have to do that, I will hand feed her because we talk, we laugh when they're, she's at respite, they sing to her and they turn on Pitbull and Taylor Swift and it's a <laughs> dance party when she eats. Yeah. And, you know, like if you're looking at this as her life, whatever makes her happy is what's going to be there. And so if that means we're going to go on a ride at midnight, because that's the only thing that's going to shut you up, we're going on a ride at midnight. If it's a walk on the bay and I've already walked three miles around the bay, but that's what you need to do, you know, you just... I never know how long she'll be here. She's healthy as a horse, but that could change tomorrow. Right. And I think that's kept me from welcoming another partner into my life because somebody has to love her the way I love her. And 100%. I won't accept anything less than that. So I just kind of have stayed secluded and said, you know, if the UPS guy brings him by, then I will be happy to welcome <laughs> him in. But yeah. I'm very protective of that space. And, you know, I don't want anything to hurt her. I get that. Yeah. 
that's a lot to handle. And I truly believe that we're only given what we can handle. And so I think that she picked you for a reason because you are this person. You're strong enough to handle it. And not a lot of people can do that. (laughs) It's very rare. So if you could name maybe your top three things that you like to inform pregnant women about, what are those three things? Autonomy. Uh You are in charge of every choice. There is always a choice. Nobody can bully you or push you into something unless you let them, which is why we should work on that way before we ever get into a doctor's appointment, (laughs) because we have been taught that the white coat knows everything and we are to shut up, sit up and do what we are told as girls. Mm -hmm. That doesn't apply to our bodies and our birth and our experience as mothers, but we don't know that a lot of times until it's too late. And we do blame it on everybody else and feel bullied and whatever, but it's always comes back to our choice and we can choose that at any time. So let's start early. So autonomy is number one. Mm-hmm. Love that. Choosing the providers that make you feel the safest yeah. and still being able to have conversations about them. I don't make any provider the enemy, but we're adults and we don't ask permission to go pee at any other time in our life. Why are we asking at the hospital? Right. Oh, I love that. Eat your freaking burrito and walk through the halls. You don't have to hide it. Eat your burrito. You're in a business office building. Yeah. Like a hospital, people are clocking into work. It is a corporate owned office building. Absolutely. I don't know why we think it's like sacrosanct, like a temple. It's not. Yeah. It's a business building. So own your shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be number one. Realize that it's not your birth, it's your baby's birth. And what you put into it or what you neglect to put into it. Meaning, I remember you saying, I'm so scared. I just want to get my appointment over with and go home. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us feel that way. I was the same way, man. Drug me from top to bottom. I don't care if I puke my baby out of my mouth. Just I don't want to be in pain. I'm right. scared of it. I'm terrified of it. And I was allergic to all the drugs in the epidural, which is why I went natural. There's no way I would have ever chosen that. Another synchronicity because no one else in my family is allergic to all that stuff except for me. So thanks, universe. That's what got me into birth work. Wow. I know it's crazy. Like so I'm saying, when you're on a path, watch those little things because it's you're not on a path just for the heck of it. Right. There's so many signs. There's so many signs. So that would be the second thing. Third thing would be connect. Connect to yourself. Connect to your baby. Connect to the people around you. We are mammals and we need to feel safe. And when we start looking into what birth actually is and that it's meant to transform you, that it's meant to show you your power, you're unstoppable. You know, I, I did a talk for birth psychology, I don't know, in January, and talked about if we understood how spiritually beautiful death is, because it's a transformation just like birth is, birth, we're coming from somewhere right. to here, death, we're leaving here to go somewhere. Yeah. They're just transitions. But it's the fear of death that keeps us from understanding the beauty of birth. And we're so afraid everyone's going to die that that's what anyone can hang over you to keep you exactly where they want you. Yeah, that's a trip to think about. That makes sense. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And we have less deaths when we meddle less in the birth process. Like some of us are high risk. Yes, that's, I'm not talking about that, but the 98% of us that are not high risk, if you actually don't meddle, you have better results, but our medical system isn't set up like that. 
We're set up for costs. We're set up for a lot of things that make a lot of people money, but don't put you in the forefront. Definitely don't put your baby in the forefront. So if you can get a handle on death as just a normal inherent risk, so is birth. A normal coming into the planet has its risk, leaving the planet, right? You come in by yourself, you leave by yourself. This is a solo experience. Even though we feel like my family, my friends, nope. We come in by ourselves, we leave by ourselves. So what are we going to do to make the most of our time while we're here? And the risk of death, we just need to look at it and look at it, how beautiful that transition is. And when you sat at someone's bedside as they've transitioned, it's a beautiful experience. And that's why a lot of doulas that are used to sitting on the birthing side always get called in to family and friends to sit on the death doula side right. because we are so good at holding the space. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't make it easy, but no. we're used to the transition and we understand that's a process. We're not going to escape either one. We're all going to be born and have a belly button and we're all going to leave. Right. Find those common threads. That's such a good perspective to have. Talk to me a little bit about induction because that's a big topic I know that you like to touch on. And I think that it's really important for us to talk about. So I'll give you a bit of background why probably induction always sparked me because I was induced in 1972 and it was a horrific experience with my mom. And I have relived it in different ways over the years. I have felt what it felt like. She was tortured in that birth. So my birth was pretty horrific with her. Oh my gosh. That was my entry into the world, right? But I didn't make that connection until I'd been a birth worker about a year and a half and I was at a workshop. Induction is so overused now that everybody is offered an induction. Like even my moms that are being birthing at home at a birth center, at least in California, we have a 42 week cutoff. And so it's like, okay, if that baby doesn't show up, then you're going to need to be induced. Or you could just wait till the baby shows up. But everybody is so convinced that our bodies will not go into labor, which is crazy. Because have you ever met a pregnant woman that's been pregnant for (laughs) 50 years? (laughs) Not a thing, right? Because you've heard doctors say that, well, you never went into labor, we've got to get this going because for the safety and all the stuff that is said. I am okay if people choose an induction, if they are educated about it, because there are so many factors to an induction that we don't have time in a three minute appointment to say, here's what we do. And here's how we do it. Here's why we do it. And if your baby doesn't tolerate it, here's what could happen. If you don't tolerate, here's what could happen. There is no time in that little appointment We've just made it normal and we're just going to induce you and get this baby out. And those nurses and doctors are on a mission 24 hours as your stay at the hospital to get that baby out, come hell or high water. Because otherwise we just give you a cesarean. It's no big deal. Yep. However, it is a big deal because it's your baby's entry to the planet. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons that we created the induction class Mm -hmm. because I couldn't even cover all the ins and outs of it and the risks and the benefits and the when you should and when you shouldn't and ideas for induction, how to slow things down. So we put it in a two and a half hour class and it's part of the hypnobirthing. They don't pay extra for it. Other people can add it to their own birth education by buying it, but it goes through everything, due dates, breaking of the waters, cervical checks. What are your risks for this? What kind of medicine does this? What is FDA approved? What is not? 
The one that's not FDA approved is the one we use on women all the time, by the way. And there's just so much we don't know about what is happening to our bodies even before we start an induction. We don't understand our due dates. We don't understand what our body is working on doing. We don't understand the gestation of our baby and that they're pulling all of our energy the last couple of weeks to build their brain before they come out. We just don't know enough about the power of our bodies. And if I have a group of 10 couples in front of me and I take them all and drop them off on a desert island and come back in a year and nobody touched them, there would be 10 babies in a year when I go back to that desert island. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to think about it too. Yeah. But we're so scared to look at it because like you said, I don't want to watch that documentary because then I might be convinced I don't want to have a hospital birth. So I'm going to avoid it. Yep. Until you're 35 weeks and you you watched it and you're like, holy crap. Yeah. The business of being born is one of the best cartoon illustrations of Pitocin that has ever been done. To show, you know, you're using your baby's head with medicine to open up your body, right? right? And there's no break for them. We have to get those contractions two minutes apart, two to three minutes apart consistently with Pitocin in order to get the baby out. We're in natural labor. There's ebb and flow. There's hormones and pheromones and things that are working to keep everyone comfortable and move things forward. So yeah, induction is a tipping point for me because we don't have autonomy around it. It is being done to us most of the time, which is our choice. We can get more education on it and take more control of it. I've had families that they're in there for three or four days. And by the third day, their body goes, oh, is that what you want me to do? And then it takes off and does it themselves. Right. But they've already been offered, let me break your water six times. Let me give you this for, you know, five times. Let me, and they've said, no, I'm here to have a baby. Let's all just chill out. And that's not how we do it. We need to get someone else in that bed. So we got to get that baby out and move somebody else in to make money. Yeah. So it's just understanding that it's a business. It really is a business. It truly is. And what are your thoughts on women trying to naturally induce? Like, you know, there's castor oil, there's dates, there's all of these things that you can do to like not speed up the process, but get things moving and and going. Well, yeah. So all of that is priming your body. If your baby's not ready and your body's not ready, you can drink 20 pounds of castor oil. You're just going to chit your pants and puke, right? It's not going to do anything but make you feel like crap. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of those things help prime your body. It can go two ways, right? One, I'm eating six dates a day. I'm doing what I can do. I'm drinking red raspberry lift tea. I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, as a tonifier for my uterus. And you're casually doing these things. I'm using barrage oil or primrose oil to put prostaglandins by my cervix. I'm having a lot of sex because semen has prostaglandins to be by my cervix to soften things. Yeah, do that casually and surrender to your baby has his or her timing, right? Yes. And it gives you good information. If you're doing all those things and you don't have a baby yet, your body's not ready. Right. Your baby's not ready. If you stress out about all those things, your baby's definitely not going to be ready because your stress hormones are now replacing the oxytocin that actually will get things going. Yeah, that's a good point to make. Yeah, we have these beautiful receptors sitting on our uterus that are waiting for oxytocin, but if they're closed and then we're bombarding them with stress hormones, if they open, they're not going to take the oxytocin to start things. They're going to be like, ooh, it's not safe. And your baby's feeling the same way. So yes, if you can understand that the surrender process doesn't mean you're giving up, it means you're trusting that your body and your baby 
are perfectly timed. Everything's going to be fine. Like, let it go. Yeah. Going into labor, especially as a first time mom, without all that stuff, less is more. You're sick of being pregnant. You're hot. You feel fat. Mm -hmm. I get all Mm -hmm. of that. I felt the same way. But at the same time, I was so excited to just still have a baby in me. Right. I think I would have let it go for way longer than I should have because I'm like, I'm pregnant. I'm so happy. Yeah. You're going to learn all that in a childbirth class. You're going to, you know, read certain books. And the thing I like about a good childbirth education class out of hospital, I'm going to say, and you need to find the right educator for you because you need to have one that, you know, matches both you and your partner's personalities so that it's meaningful to you, Mm -hmm. um, is that they put all the pieces together for you. And you can come and say, here's what I heard at the hospital. Here's this. Oh, great. Let me give you an evidence-based article that you can actually eat and drink during labor if you choose. And here's the evidence that backs that up. You know, it it starts to help you put the pieces back into autonomy and find your voice and understand that you are the driver in this car. Yeah. You're not being towed around. You're the driver. And if your fear becomes your compadre, they'll help keep you safe. But if you can still be curious about why am I scared of that, go get some more information about it. Loosen up the fear, right? You're not the first person to be scared of all the things. It's a big, scary system. But once you understand it, you feel more in control and you feel like, oh, I do have a voice because I'm going to the used car lot and I'm picking out my car today. They're not telling me what I can pick up or not pick up. It's my money. I'm spending it. So many good takeaways. All of those points that you just made are amazing for any pregnant woman out there. So next, I want to touch on what you would say maybe your top three things are that you want to inform postpartum women on. Get a therapist while you're pregnant. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Number one. So here's the reason. So many women have pregnancy anxiety and pregnancy OCD and things like that, that they don't talk about because... I don't want to even think I'm crazy, right? But I'm having all these experiences and I don't understand them. If you have a therapist while you're pregnant, they can get a baseline for you. And if you need some treatment, you're on their schedule now. You can start talking about that, right? Right. If you need them postpartum wise, you are sleep deprived. You have no time to call your insurance and see who is covered, who is not. And getting on their schedule nowadays is almost impossible. Yeah. So if you get one early in the game, you've got that person. And you're already on her schedule and she knows who you are. And we have a class to an online class on postpartum and pregnancy mental health. And it has a workbook to it that is the most masterful workbook that helps you kind of assess where you are throughout the whole game. Because our mental health is very neglected in this country. So take ownership of that right off the gate. That's a great resource. Where can people find that? The workshop in the class. Yeah. It's on my website. It's under online classes, under services, go to classes and it's pregnancy and mental health, pregnancy, postpartum mental health. Okay. And it comes with the workbook. It's amazing. You'll love that workbook. And then, um, see next, I would say set up your support system. Yeah. You've got to ask for help when you had a baby. This is the time of your life to ask for help and not be the one that does it all. So whoever your friend is that does massage for a living, that's what you're going to say. I really need foot massages and shoulder massages when I'm going to be feeding this baby. Can you come over? Whatever. Who's Mm -hmm. going to watch the dogs? You've got to find your support because we think we're going to do it all. And the bottom line is we can't. And when you have a baby, it's the people who've already had babies that are like, you call me no matter what. 
Yeah. Right. Cause they get it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's crucially important. And if you're, you know, on the East coast and your whole family's on the West coast, call the birth educators in your area and say, yeah. where are my resources? Mm-hmm. Because we are tapped into the birth community. Call doulas and say, I need lactation consultant. Who am I talking to? Like all of that needs to be set up way before 35 weeks when you go, Oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And you haven't taken a class and you haven't girlfriend, like you're pregnant nine months, like everybody else, like start early, like early, early. And I would say work on your relationship with your partner. That is key. While you're pregnant, right? So first trimester, we're terrified to have sex because what if we have a miscarriage and our boobs hurt and we're so tired, we can't move. Second trimester, we push them away again because, oh my gosh, I have to get work ready and I'm planning a shower and I'm buying nursery and I'm getting new clothes, whatever. Mm -hmm. We push them away. While they're hearing at work, dude, you're never going to have sex again. We're reinforcing it, right? Right. And then third trimester, we're hot, we're fat, we're tired. Uh-huh. And we push them away again because now it's awkward. Right. How do we do this? Right. Doggy style always. Like, what else do we do? Uh-huh. And partners, then we think six weeks, but it could be seven months. And we already haven't had sex or intimate cuddles at all or intimate even talks five months of our pregnancy. Yeah. It's... 10 times harder to get through postpartum when you don't have that connection. And what if you can't have sex? What are the things that make you work together? Yeah. Date nights, cuddles, communication, doing special things for each other. Like that stuff will help you get through postpartum and definitely setting up a check-in time every Sunday, 15 minutes. Yes. Where is your tank? Are you empty? Because I'm empty. Okay. That is such a game changer. I love that. It's a game changer. Yes. And we have to remember that we do love this person and we're speaking from a place of love and hopefully they are too. And, you know, remember that there are single people out there having babies and they don't have that person. And as much as I'd love to say, I have so much support, I don't reach out for it because we've been taught we can do it ourselves. I know. Right. And so if you know somebody who's single and pregnant, set a reminder to check on them because we forget because we're caught up in our own lives, but they are really doing it 24 seven by themselves. And it is hard. Cannot. It's so hard. Yeah. And they're ashamed to ask sometimes. And sometimes you don't even have the words. They're just like, I don't even know what you could do. I'm just a mess. Right. So please look in your village for those people, because especially military families. Oh my gosh. I didn't even, they're by themselves with two kids and he's deployed. Mm -hmm. It's really tricky. And we all have those people around us that we need to just be checking on and loving and because we're raising those kids with them. Right. I couldn't have done what I do with Finn if I didn't have those chosen family in my life. And I don't use them as much as I should because they offer, but sometimes it's just like, I don't want to bother anybody. You don't want to be a burden. Yeah. It's a lot. It's hard. My life, you, it's not hard. It's not easy. And I don't want anyone else to have to share that sometimes. So postpartum definitely needs therapy find your village early and figure out that communication support with your partner and a check-in time. All of these tips are amazing, especially for first-time moms, because you are so unprepared. You don't know what to expect. You know, this is your first go around. And I always tell myself, like, my next baby, I am going to do so many things differently and just prepare so much more because it is so important. Well, and I think my Gen Zers are way more about F the system. So they're jumping into childbirth education earlier because yeah. they're like, I'm doing this. Yep. But my millennials, 
are a little sticky. Yeah. They are scared of things and they drag their feet and then they panic at the end and then they have a poor birth experience. Right. And not all the time, but a lot. And then they call me sobbing going, I just didn't know. Right. And I'm like, I know, but I need you to call me earlier because I can't help you if you don't call. We are experts of working through fear. That is what we do. So educators, doulas, we want to help you have a good birth and help you make the decisions that you feel right about. But if you don't have all the information, you're not making decisions with a full slate. And everybody deserves that, but you have to reach out for it. Exactly. There's so many resources. It's just a matter of putting in the effort and the time to actually utilize the resources that we do have. And pregnant brains get overwhelmed at YouTube. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much. So call a person, call a human and say, where do I start? And they'll say, here's Ina May's book. Here's labor like a goddess. Here's, you know, like they'll start to guide you, but they're first, they're going to say, what kind of birth do you want? Let's start there. Like right. let's reverse engineer it, you know, yeah. but a person you're going to get way more distinctive information than you're going to get from YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive into the acronym. I know there's so many other things that I feel like we could talk about, but I do want to get into what you do to stay mindful because you've got your plate really full and um, I feel like you are so good at just tapping in. So what does that look like for you? I will tell you, I do a lot of audiobooks, And mm -hmm. one of the ones that I've listened to 10,000 times is the five agreements. The five agreements? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He has the four, but now there's a fifth. I didn't know that. And he's written it masterfully. It's okay. beautiful. And it's one of the books that I require my doulas that are coming through my program to read because it's spot on. So obviously we go through, be impeccable with your word, take nothing personal. Yep. And that is a big one for me. Like if they're coming at me, I'm like, they'd come after someone else. No big deal. Don't make assumptions because that's where a lot of our issues come from. Always do your best, which I struggle with because I'm a perfectionist. And right. sometimes I have to be like forgiving, like I did my best today. And then the fifth one is be skeptical, but continue learning. Oh. So being skeptical, right? So when I hear my voice in my head say, you're an idiot, you should have X, Y, Z. I'm like, do I really believe that? Or is that something that I've carried with me? Or I hear from somebody else a phrase that I'm like, is that really true? Or is that just their perspective? Or do I really believe that? So be open to learning other perspectives, but be skeptical to see if you're carrying a past belief or demon right? or that you're adopting a new one. Oh, I love that one. Right. And I think that probably came through the pandemic with him and I probably why he rewrote that part of the book, but his stories are different. Like it is a wonderful book. So yes. So those are the kind of things that just float in my head when I'm like triggered. I'm like, okay, it's not personal. Trust that everybody's doing their best today. That's just their best. And that's really hard. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to step away from that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of my mindful practice. I really like that. I'm going to have to read that because I've only read the four agreements. So good to know that he has a fifth. I feel like I don't even need to really ask the next one on how you listen to your intuition because I feel like your whole entire story is you listening to your intuition essentially. But I would love to know how you kind of listen to it on a day-to-day -day basis? I still am retraining myself to trust it. 
I know. Yeah. Like you spend 50 years suppressing certain aspects. And I've heard my grandma come through and said, I've said this three times to you today. But when I've heard it, it was my head. I wasn't thinking I was actually hearing something. I was arguing with myself. And then I'm like, oh, you've been saying this to me. Okay, let me step back here. My gut is telling me it's right. It's a reminder constantly to where am I feeling it in my body, which is my somatic therapy stuff. Where do I feel this? Yeah. And my throat clenches a lot. I have a lot of find your voice stuff, which is why I harp on that a lot in birth education. What chakra is this? Throat chakra. So represented by the color blue. Blue. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's the fifth power center or chakra and very important that women find their voice. So yes. all parents, but especially the one carrying the baby because Absolutely. we shape the future. So I think that's my intuition. Yes, I have it and it's very strong, but I constantly have to remind myself to trust it. Yeah, definitely. What are your lifestyle non-negotiables? Things that you just can't live without or things that you practice? Yeah. So it's gratitude, Mm -hmm. gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. So grateful for the views. So grateful for the trees. So grateful for the grass under my feet. So grateful for my Pomeranians who I love more than anything. I love them more than my crystals. They are so cute. Oh my gosh. They're the cutest things ever. When I have a dog rescue of like 50 Pomeranians, just know it's not a rescue. I just have 50 Pomeranians. (laughs) And I also practice, I have two guardian angels, my grandma and my grandpa. They're both my mom's parents. Mm -hmm. And I see them every day in pictures in my front room. And I thank them for being with me. I feel them with me. Sometimes I even smell my grandma. She had this very distinct tobacco tweed perfume smell that is unmistakable and it will just rush past me. And I'm like, I'm so glad you're here with me. So I'm very mindful to have them help me along the way. And I have an angel collection. I have crystal angel collection. I thank the people that support me on the other side, because I have always felt supported even when I was little, but I feel like I need to say thank you to them on a daily basis. So I'm constantly thanking my angels, my guides, whoever they are. I don't know who they are. That's beautiful. That's my non-negotiables. I do that every day and without even thinking, I think. Definitely. And we can very easily neglect those things, especially the gratitude one too. Like it's so easy to just take for granted the smallest things. What is your fitness routine? Besides lifting a quadriplegic all the time. That's, um, that's a, a lot in yeah, itself. That's my fitness. I really have to caretake my back. So walking in nature has become the thing that I do every day if I can. Some days are a little hard because of the weather, because I have thin appointments or whatever. But I'm very close to the bay in San Diego and it is a flat, beautiful walk and Finley loves it. So I walk by the bay and I'm also close to Miramar Lake and my dad fished his whole life. And so I feel very close to him when I'm at the lake. Oh, I love that. So just walking and I, I can't just walk and listen to the birds. I always have an audiobook or something I'm learning. So it's usually a Wayne Dyer book. Wayne has kind of become my other dad. Oh, yes, he is incredible. Yeah. So I'm constantly, I think that's the entrepreneur in me. It's the constant learning. And so I always have an audiobook going and podcasts. But Wayne Dyer and I are like close, even though he doesn't know that. <laughs> He's in heaven going, yeah, I never did meet you, but thanks for listening to my book 50 times a day. He's amazing. And he doesn't he have like eight or nine children or something crazy like that? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. My dad passed so early. And once I heard his voice and started watching him on all the specials and everything when he was alive, he became my dad on earth. And I don't even know if those kids know that he is a father to many people. So many Um, people, yeah. Definitely is one of my father figures. And His Excuses Be Gone book is another book that I have the doulas read that will shift your whole. Mm, Yeah, that's a good one. Like you don't have an excuse for that because someone else has done it. Like you can't say, I can't do it. It's too hard. And yeah, it's hard. Keep doing it. So it's a constant reminder to me to keep moving forward. Yes, absolutely. So you have your doulas in training read The Five Agreements, the Wayne Dyer book that you just mentioned. Do you have them read anything else? Well, they come to me after they've had their initial doula training. So they've done all their birth books and all that kind of stuff. My training is now let's center on the consciousness of birth. Yeah. Let's get your business set up and let's build community because we don't know how to start a business. Most of us have not. And there's so many doula programs and so many women that know how to do it that we don't really know how we want to do it. And so that's kind of how we sift through what's going to work for your family and how are you going to build relationships around you because you can't do it by yourself. And I think we get into doula work and we get stuck. It was scary when I first became a doula. Like the older doulas didn't want the newbies coming in. Really? Yeah. It's very competitive. Is it still like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because you are educating so many people. Do you ever find yourself being like, oh, well, there's so many new people coming in. Like I'm going to lose work or, you know? So let's think about this on a global scale. Will we as humans ever give up sex? Nope. Nope. There will always be babies. <laughs> always. And yes. if, like in San Diego, we have like 55,000 babies a year. If all of us had four births a month, that would maybe account for like 5% of all the births. Right. There's so many. There's abundance. Yeah, guys, there's an on. abundance of it. Yeah. And there's enough room for all of us. There, exactly. We have so many people on the planet. You know, there's enough work. You could have 55 childbirth educators. I am not the right one for everybody. Everybody's going to vibe with somebody different and like attracts like. So there is no competition. Although we're women, we have been burned at the stake in other lives, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't trust each other. Yeah. That's underlying issue from generations back. If we don't face that and start talking about it and learn how to communicate ourselves, it's not going to change. So we do a lot of communication stuff. That's why I do authentic relating games and the erotic blueprint stuff comes in with the finding Ooh. out what, who you are sexually. Oh, I like that. Oh, it's delicious. It's delicious. Oh man. I want to talk about that too. <laughs> We'll do that another time. Okay. Yeah. On the next episode. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you, you can go to Goop and on Gwyneth Paltrow's show. She did an excellent episode with um, Jaya and Ian on the erotic blueprint. It's worth watching. Okay. It's amazing. I don't remember if I watched it or not, but yeah. Okay. I will definitely check yeah. that out. So everyone can start there because it's math. Cool. wonderful. Yeah. But yeah, there is competition in birth work. There's competition in the corporate world. We need to give that story up at some point because it's a patriarchal bullshit line that we've been fed. Yeah. And we need to get back into supporting each other. Absolutely. I could not support that more. One last question that I ask everyone at the end of every episode is if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you say to the younger version of yourself? You are worthy of love just how you are. 
Yeah, that's that's a big one. <laughs> like we don't have to do or perform or outperform. Just being who you are is worthy of all the love in the world. I love that. And that's a lesson I still remind myself of. Like, no, you're good enough. Everyone is deserving of love, no matter who you are. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Okay, Care, I am so thankful that I got the chance to sit down and speak with you. And I'm so excited for your podcast to come out. Can you let the audience know the name of the podcast and when it'll be airing? Have you picked a date yet? Yeah. So September 7th. So it's next week. Oh, yay. Yeah. And I have, I think, three episodes I'm going to release right at the beginning. And it's called Birth Education Center Podcast. And I'm I'm excited. It's a different twist on birth stuff. It's very spiritual, very energetic. And um, yeah, I can't wait to interact with people and get their opinions and find out their stories. And yeah, I'm super excited about it. So we'll have birth stories, of course, but it's it's a deep dive into who we are. You're going to learn way more about me than you ever wanted to probably, but um, I want to learn way more about you than you've ever told anybody. So I think it'll be a good exchange. Absolutely. I can't wait to tune in. And I'm sure there will be lots of crossovers from my audience to your audience. I hope so. I can't wait to have you online too. So (gasps) yeah, definitely. We'll do an exchange. And then where else can the audience connect with you and find you if they want to work with you, give your Instagram handle and all of that. Yeah. So all my handles are birth education center. Mm -hmm. So just plain birth education center, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, my website, birtheducationcenter.com, care at birtheducationcenter.com is my email. If I miss it, please email me back. I get like 60, 70 emails a day. It's just crazy in that place. But yeah, I love what I do. And I could talk about vulvas forever. That's probably what I will do. I'll (laughs) die with vulva in my mouth. Yes. It'll just be on your grave, vulva. (laughs) Yep. Vulva. Everyone's like, all right, we know what she did. Sayonara. (laughs) Yeah. Your, your Instagram is so informative. It's such a great follow for anyone out there. I applaud you and I am just so in awe of your whole entire story and your daughters are so lucky to have you truly. Mm -hmm. You're an amazing human. So I just want to commend you for that. And thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you too. Thank you all for listening to the show. I hope you gained some insight on how to practice becoming more mindful, learn the importance of listening to your intuition, gained some lifestyle takeaways and fitness tips. You can find me on Instagram at Cherokee Luker and the podcast at MILFBODPOD. So make sure you follow me to access exclusive content to help you become a better you, a better mother, and a better human. Talk to you guys next week about all things MILF.